Today in the Dan Cave, it's Seahawks draft Makapalooza. On the eve of the NFL draft, I give you not one, but two live mock draft simulations. First, Eric Briggs joins me again as we go head-to-head with dueling live mocks. And then another simulation where I take my least favorite prospect with each of the Seahawks picks just to prepare us for the inevitable annual disappointment come draft night. It's Seahawks Makapalooza coming up next. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Vienz. Happy Draft Eve, everybody. It is Wednesday the 22nd, and we are just a little more as I record this, a little over 24 hours away from the first round of the NFL Draft. Uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider had their annual pre-draft press conference yesterday. It looked and sounded differently than any we have ever seen as they were both in their individual homes. The whole thing was conducted over Zoom. Um but it was cool. It was fun to watch. I I thought that it lended a little bit more casual atmosphere um, to the whole thing. Schneider, in particular, seemed um, a little more, uh, just a little less stiff and scripted than he than he often is. But he he also very much stuck to business, refusing to answer a couple of questions that were asking for a little bit too much inside information. Um, but he did touch on a couple interesting things. He it sure seemed from his tone. And the look on his face and even the way he answered the question that the ship has sailed on Jadevian Clowney, um, even though he did allow for the fact that the door is, is open if he wants to come back to us, he did make it sound like they have moved on with some of the moves they made. Um, didn't want to tip his hand as far as any other remaining moves that might be coming up. Um, but there was a lot of time spent about the process itself and how this virtual draft was going to happen tomorrow. And Schneider even said that, hey, he said his house is in an area where cell service and Wi-Fi not that great. And so, um, you know, I suppose it's an advantage when you're owned by um you know, the, the widow of the founder of Microsoft, but they're going to have all the tech advances they can come up with. And Schneider said literally a couple of walls have had to be knocked down or opened up in his house so they could rewire some things and make sure that he has really good signal. And it was fascinating to listen to, um, to how they're preparing for the draft. How we prepare for the draft is we like to do mock drafts and, um, we do them over and over and over again. Some we like and some we don't like, uh, but I like finding ways late in the process to make them a little bit more interesting and a little more creative because what happens if it's just me sitting on my couch running simulator after simulator, they all start to look the same after a while. We we have our own favorite prospects and guys that we want and um, guys that we target in certain areas and we tend to take in certain areas over and over. Um, teams are the same way. Um, but inevitably we are always disappointed with a pick or two or three or four for some of us, um, especially because the Seahawks tend to do things a little bit differently on draft day. So we're going to approach this two different ways today. Um, Eric Briggs is going to join me once again, or he did join me once again this morning and we did, uh, real time, I use the word live, I guess real time is more accurate, where we both set up our simulators the exact same way and launched them at the same time. And then we went pick by pick and um, and made our choices. Um, that was a lot of fun. And then during the course of that process, it occurred to me that, um, that I've wanted to do a simulation throughout this process where 
I went out of my way to take a player that I don't like at each position just to prepare myself for um, what a draft might look like if I was disappointed in the direction the Seahawks take. doesn't mean it's the wrong way to go. It just means it's not the way I would do it based on my um, my research up until this point. So uh, the end result is Makapalooza. So first we're going to get into the dueling drafts. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and play uh, uh, what I recorded this morning with Eric and, uh, and then we'll rejoin you back here. We'll circle back around and I'll do the other draft, but this is Eric and I with our dueling mock drafts recorded today. All right, man, you ready to do this? I am ready. Eric Briggs, once again, joining us in the Dan cave. Um, so we did our dueling mock drafts a few weeks ago. Um, but it occurred to me a couple days ago, it would be fun to do it live and just kind of see how it falls. And so uh, the way we set this up, we've kind of gone back and forth for the last couple of days trying to figure out the right scenario. I wanted to simulate as closely as possible what we think the Seahawks draft board may end up looking like. And we know it's not going to be this simple and that this trade that we came up with might not even, um, you know, make sense for the Jets, but it just kind of layers the draft board in a way that I, that I think ultimately the Seahawks will end up, even though they'll they'll arrive at it differently. I think they're going to move down from 27, accumulate picks, move up a couple times, just like they did last year. I think it's going to look real similar to last year. So what we did is, and you were the one that came up with the idea for the Jets, and the way it worked out using the, the Rich Hill trade chart is um, the Seahawks make a huge move all the way down to, um, let me catch up here, 48. And so the trade was 27 of the Jets for 48, 68, 158, and 191. And so that gives the Hawks three seconds, two thirds, two fourths. Uh, they get a fifth round pick back and two sixths. Do you think we're kind of in the range of where they'll end up after all the, the moving and shaking happens? I, I really do, and I think that the actual move from 27 to 48, I know it's 21 spots, but if you look at Schneider, if they if they still see that board stacked up around 36 to 40, I could still see him dropping down to you know that 45 to 48 because of just his history of accumulating as many picks as he can. Yeah, it, it'll probably look more like you know, they'll slide down to 30 and get picks from Green Bay and then maybe slide down again and then, you yeah. know, make a couple moves back like they did last year, but then pounce and move up the board. Uh, that's why I liked this scenario because I do see somehow, some way, I do see them ending up, uh, you know, having a pick higher in that third round. The meat of this draft really seems to be between, at least for the Seahawks, mid-second to late-third. Yeah, I could definitely see if the, if the Hawks could slide down to let's say uh, that thirty eight to forty five range, then I definitely see one of our seconds being traded, so he can get up in the first part of the third round and then pick up an extra, you know, whatever that works out on the Rich Hill model, like, like fourth or fifth round pick, you know, that yeah. to compensate. But yeah, I agree with you there that that mid second all the way through the end of the third, arguably the first part of the fourth, because there's a lot of interesting running backs. And uh, offensive linemen, you and I have seen in the fourth. There, there's yeah. the meat of the draft for us. All right. So, a couple of other uh, housekeeping things here. We are using the Pro Football Network mock draft simulator. They're the newest kid on the block, but they've kind of lapped the competition as far as um, uh, I think their big boards are about as close to to what we think is realistic right now. And it's just 
just the the interface and the way it looks, how easy it is to find players and how quickly it moves. Um, we both enjoy this one. And then uh, we're both sitting at the first pick. We haven't hit uh, start draft yet because we want to see how the board falls. And then we're also both operating under the assumption that no other major acquisitions are going to be made between now and tomorrow. And in fact, um, John Schneider in his uh, pre-draft press conference yesterday made it made it pretty clear, even though he said the door is always open because with the Seahawks, it, it's always open to any acquisition that would make sense. But it sounds like the the ship has sailed on Jadevian Clowney. They made the move for Mayo and Irvin. They're kind of strapped for salary cap right now, even though they could open up some with some flexibility. But they're going to go into this draft, see how the draft falls, and then kind of piece some things together afterwards. So we're looking to fill needs. And let's before we hit start, let me just ask you this. What is your what are you hoping happens? If you close your eyes and open them again and the Seahawks are on the clock at 48, what's your dream scenario? My dream scenario is Blacklock is there, if not Matabuke uh, out of AM. So I'm definitely I'm looking D tackle. Uh that that's that's my dream scenario is D tackle for the 48. And then to kind of make it the more perfect thing for me, then with uh our next pick, if Cushionberry or if Hennessy are there, okay. I would love to grab a center and I'd love to get Brit's money off our books after the draft. So we can get some, you know, flexibility there and make some more moves if we need to. All right, so let's do this. You ready to hit start? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. And this does not take very long. So pretty much chalk. It looks like through the first ten picks or so. Although for for purposes of our scenario, I think uh, if the Jets were going to make such a crazy move up to do this, I think it would be to help the offense to help. Sam Darnold, they'd probably go offensive tackle with their first pick at 11 and then maybe be looking to move up into the end of the first round for a receiver. It didn't fall that way in my draft. but uh, They took Christian Fulton, cornerback LSU in mine. They took C.J. Henderson, so they must have corners their first need, and then they moved up to get Ezra Cleveland, which actually would make sense in our scenario. So, it would. Uh, all right, so... Before you pick at 48, what are tell me some names that went right before that you got sniped on that that uh, that kind of crushed your plans. Oh, so our boy Isaiah Wilson, offensive tackle Georgia, he went at 46. Um yeah. Zach Bond went at 47 and at 45 Okwara out of Notre Dame, the edge out of Notre Dame. So um and then so, Matt, yeah, we'll- Matabuke went at 41, so Okay, about the same range. You know, they're pretty consistent in their their logarithms here that they have at Pro Football Network. So Matabuke was on the off the board of the Jags at 42 for me, Wilson at 41. Jonathan Taylor went 40 to Houston and that kind of removes a little bit of a dilemma. And then I'm actually glad that uh Aquara went at 47 cuz I, I know he gets mocked a lot and a lot of people seem to think he has this crazy upside. I don't see it on tape. I don't see him really making impacting the game or making plays. But yeah. Um another thing, just a side note too, I like about the simulator and you can see it as the board falls, is this simulator does c- execute some trades on its own. Yeah. Um based on, you know, rumors and things like that. So pretty interesting stuff. Lots of trades that look so, like happening. So who do you have available right now at forty eight that you're so the highest rated prospect I have at this point is Jeremy Chin, the safety out of Southern Illinois. Um, and, and then as far as defensive line, which I'm, I'm with you, this is, this is the angle I want to go. So f- 
Marlon Davidson is sitting there. Uh, the kind of the combo defensive lineman and yeah. three, also three technique out of Auburn that I know you really liked for a long time. Uh, Josh Uche is still there. You know how I feel about him. Yep. Um, uh, uh, Blacklock is still there. Zach Bond is still there. So a lot of choices for the defensive line and some decisions to be made, knowing that you have another pick coming up in f- at 59. Yeah. Um, also, maybe you can dip into two out of that group. So what are you thinking? Uh, I'll let you go first for 48. Well, I, I'm the reason I asked you that is because I'm stuck now. Uh, you know, the way these simulators go, I mm-hmm. actually have Caesar Ruiz, Ruiz sitting on my board right now to pick. Wow. That's a, so that's a surprise. I'm taking Caesar Ruiz because I just feel that as much as our defensive line needs help at this point, mm-hmm. to me, I feel like we filled most of the starter role. So th- this is, you know, if there was Zach Bond was still there, maybe I'd pop him instead of Caesar Ruiz, but I still got R- Ross Blacklock there. Um, but he's about 10 guys down on my board. I think you go for the the center of the, you know, for the now and the next 10 years. And so I'm going Cesar Ruiz. Yeah, that's kind of a no brainer. If he's on your board, he's not on mine. Let's see where he went. He, cause he's generally regarded as a first round. Yeah. He went yeah. 26 to, to Miami. Yeah. And so you uh, said you sold Marlon Davidson. He went 36 to the giants uh, on mine. Okay. So he's already off the board. And that actually would be a great fit for the giants. Oh, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. All right, so you go Ruiz. I'm I'm going to stick on defense, and I'm going to go with a guy that I wasn't very high on the first time I watched him on tape, and then I've circled back around to him uh, just this week because I've just read so many glowing things about him. Um, I'm going to go Terrell Lewis from Alabama. Wow. And I know the, the, the concerns medically. I think he had a severe – he had a hip injury, and then he had a shoulder injury that cost him some time. Um, and the first time I watched him on tape, I just didn't see him really affecting the game much. I didn't see him. I, I've, I've regarded him very similarly to how I view Aquara. Like I can see the physical traits, um, but I just didn't see him making plays. But if, if I've learned one thing this year with all the extra time I've had on my hands and all the, the tape I've been able to watch, it's, it, it really depends on which game you watch and that sometimes you have to go back and see if maybe you were wrong. And, um, and I watched uh, two or three more games from Lewis this week. And and when he's healthy, and he's a game changer, and and saw him do that in big games for the Crimson Tide last year. And those uh, those arms are ridiculous levers, and he has an extremely quick get off off the line of scrimmage. He can also drop into coverage too. He's got some versatility to him. He really fits that Leo spot perfectly. And if they're they're confident that he's that it's just a fluky thing that he's not a guy that's going to break down on a regular basis. I can really see him being a guy that as a rookie, even with the limited practice time they're going to get this year and everything can at least in sub packages really affect the pass rush. And I've seen more than one scout this week say that if it weren't for the medical concerns, or if he had had a better chance to fully involve himself in the pre-draft process, that this guy's a top 15 talent. So to get him at 48, and address one of the Seahawks' biggest needs. Uh, he's kind of a high riser for me at the last second, so I'm going to go. Okay, Terrell Lewis. All right, so we get down to 59 now, and that cost me the, a chance to go after Igbenogany, a uh, guy that I like at slot corner. Uche is now off the board. Zach Bond's off the board. I kind of, I had a feeling, and Davidson for me. So I knew that by taking Lewis there, I was probably costing myself. I was, I was choosing him over. Those other three guys. How's your board look? Yeah, so t- 
two of my wide receivers that I was really looking at, uh, T. Higgins and Michael Pittman Jr. They came off the board. Um, Uche, he's off the board, which I also really like him. Um, and then kind of surprising to me, uh, right in a row, you have Anaya, Weaver, and Blacklock all went off right before my pick. So okay. from that way, I'm not looking great, but I do have Raquan Davis, the D tackle from Alabama sitting there. So, you know, uh, and a couple other interesting names, Niang, the uh, offensive tackle from TCU still sitting there. Ayuk, mm-hmm. the wide receiver from Arizona sitting there. And then Chenault Jr. from Colorado, wide receiver is also sitting there. And uh, kind of the last name that I had in this area, Gallimore, defensive tackle, Oklahoma is also there. So yeah. not bad. I still, I still have some good guys I, I like there. Uh, so I've got, there's, uh, I really want to go defensive tackle with one of these two picks at the end of the second round. And there's a bunch of guys there. And so I think I can wait on that because I, I like um, Jordan Elliott still there. James Lynch out of Baylor still there. Blacklock is still there for me, actually. Wow. Um, and even uh, Devon Hamilton of Ohio State. Um, and typically, and you and I have gone back and forth a lot over the last couple of months on this. This is a range where almost universally I was going offensive line and in particular trying to dip into that group of guys that I thought could play left tackle long-term after listening, especially yesterday to Carol and Schneider. And then a conversation I had with Chris Clough the other day, I think the reason they went so heavily on veterans and free agency and signed the guys that they did is I think they had a vision about this offseason and how limited it was going to be. And I think getting contributions from rookie offensive linemen this year is going to be really tough. Now to take one that can be the future starter. And I think Ruiz makes a lot of sense because he's advanced. He's mature. I think he can play as a rookie. Um, but some of these tackles need a little bit of development time. That's a tough ask um, considering there are some other needs. And so uh, here's what I'm going to do because we're at the end of that, that, that group of the the top tier wide receivers, and you named a couple of them there. Um, is Michael Pittman available on your board? No, Pittman went at uh, he and Higgins went back to back at uh, forty nine and fifty. Okay, yeah, he's still sitting there, and I just think he's he's a no brainer at this point. He's a complete receiver. Uh, he's got size, speed, runs good routes, wins all the 50-50 balls, great hands, um, plays biggest in big games. think he would be a great compliment to Lockett and Matt Calf. So I'm going to help the offense here and give Russell uh, another weapon and take Michael Pittman, wide receiver, USC. Okay. So I addressed center, which for me, I told you at the very beginning, definitely wanted to take a look at. But now I'm kind of in a I'm in a spot. I do not like Chenault because of the injury history. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State fits us because he doesn't have that second gear as a wide receiver to help on the outside. So I'm going to go back to my I'm going to go to defensive line here, and I do not like Raekwon Davis. I know there's a lot of people that think he's yeah. just the next guy. I do not like it reminds me of Malik McDowell too much. There's questions about his motor. Yeah. But the guy I do like Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma is sitting there. And even though this is a little bit high for him, maybe about four picks high, I'm going to go with Neville Gallimore defensive tackle, Oklahoma. So 
It's interesting. I, I recently, lately, I haven't been going receiver this high because you can get so much value in the third and fourth round. Yeah. Um, so Pittman kind of throws me off of my plan a little bit. Um, the highest rated player on my board at this point overall is Kyle Duger from Lenore Ryan, the small school safety mm-hmm. who's just a freak of an athlete. And in yeah. any other year, I would say fits everything the Seahawks are looking for. He can hit, he can cover, he's explosive, he's dynamic. Um, I just don't know how he gets on the field. As a rookie, he would make a lot of sense long term. Okay. Um, as a guy that could that could succeed, uh, Bradley McDougal uh, could play some strong safety. Uh, maybe even play some weak side linebacker. Um, but to me, defensive tackle is is so much of a need here. Uh, and we still need to add a little more juice to the pass rush. So I'm going to go Jordan Elliott in Missouri, kind of an ascending player, um, a guy that's real explosive as a, as a penetrating interior defensive tackle. So uh, Jordan Elliott is my pick. Okay. So now we get to uh, one of the picks we got from the Jets. So it's it's <laughs> we're so used to running these simulators and having that that long fall uh, from sixty four all the way down to one hundred one at the end of the third round. But now we get to pick again at sixty eight. Oh, so, I, I didn't do my sixty four yet. Who did you? Who, so oh, I thought you did. Nope. I thought you went Gallimore. No, Gallimore is my fifty nine. Okay. Yeah, sixty four for me, and he's still sitting there. And I love this kid. Oh my god. He has Seahawk written all over him. His work ethic is through the roof. He did deal with a little bit of an ankle injury in his senior season, missed six games, um, but sold, sold some real solid production. And he's just a really fluid athletic uh, edge player. I'm going Jabari Zanuga out of Florida. Okay. All right. Similar um, to what we talked about with Davidson, I, th- I think he fits, even though he never showed like that dominant explosive um, yeah. rush off the edge I wanted to see on tape. He fit, he can move inside, outside, had a great combine, real athletic for his size. Yeah. Um, I could really see him fitting in. All right. So 68. Oh, 68. Kyle Duger is still there. <laughs> I, I just think if this were to unfold this way and the Seahawks are sitting at the board uh, at number 68 and a guy like Duger is still on the board, uh, I think they take him. I just see he's such a freak of an athlete. Um, yeah. I just don't, I just, he just doesn't fit my plan that way at this point. Um, so just to recap, I've got uh, Terrell Lewis, Michael Pittman, Jordan Elliott. So I've addressed uh, defensive line twice. Um, and then I added to the offense. Um I've got some interesting outside linebackers there. I want to look at corner still. I think it's a little high for a couple of guys that I like. I know they've had a lot of interest in Amik Robertson, uh, the slot kid out of Louisiana Tech, and had some face-to-face virtual meetings with him, and they really like him. As a guy that that can play on the interior, you know how much I like Bryce Hall as a guy that could be a long-term starter um, beyond next year, but I think it's a little high for him. I'll tell you what, I'm just going to go best player available and I'm going to take Kyle Duger. I think that he's a guy that is, that is such a, an, an elite athlete, um, in, in every metric that the Seahawks like to use. He's a guy that jumps off the tape. He's a guy that, that blew up the combine. He blew up the senior bowl, really looked like he belonged with all those other, um, big school guys. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe he doesn't get on the field that much 
in 2020, if he does, if he shows up at practice day one and he picks up the scheme and he looks like a difference maker, they can move Bradley McDougald and save about $3.5 million in salary cap space. McDougald's also a guy who's had trouble staying on the field at times. He's had some injury issues. And, you, and you'd have to think at, at a least case scenario that 2020 may be his last season on the roster. Um, I just think he's too good of a talent uh, to pass on considering he was rated uh, 50th overall on this big board, and I'm sitting at, at pick number 68. And also, we know we know the Seahawks love safeties. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go with Kyle Duger. Especially he because he's a versatile safety. I could see him flipping uh, to either spot. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball here. Um, I am tempted. Lucas Niang, the offensive tackle from TCU, sitting there. Like you talked about, I don't see – him hitting the field. He's a developmental guy. So he's, he's an interesting, you know, kind of pick for me at 68. If I took him because this is, you know, a pick we normally didn't have. So to me, it's kind of that pick. I could take a high side developmental guy, but instead I still have Clyde Edwards, Hilaire running back LSU sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and lock up the running back position. And that kid is such a freak athlete. I mean, I know he's a shorter back, but he's stout. He runs through tackles. You never see him when he gets tackled fall backwards. He always falls forward. He's very patient behind his blocks. He showed an ability to catch balls out of the backfield this last year at LSU. I think he had 55 catches. Um, And he was pretty good at picking up the blitz, albeit you are talking about the college level um, blitz packages. Um, So, But I'm going to take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and lock up that running back spot. He's a guy that's fascinating to me, and I don't think I've seen any connection anywhere with him as far as whether he's had reported contact with the Seahawks. Um, he's he's a little underneath their kind of size, height, and weight specs that they usually he like is. in a running back. Yep, he but is. I, I sure hope they have interest in him because one thing that I didn't realize about him just throughout the college football season until we got into you know the evaluation season is how highly scouts and analysts are on his um, his contributions in the passing game and his ability to run routes yeah. and watching some video of him run routes. And one of the guys on NFL, I think Charles Davis the other day even said, kind of reminds me of McCaffrey, it, at, that that level of a guy that can contribute in the pass game, um, yeah. which would be a real nice compliment with a healthy Chris Carson. So Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. I do believe he is a little shy, both height and weight-wise for the – typical Seahawks back, but let's look at it. We have three other Seahawks backs in the running back room. This is a guy you could see if, Hey, maybe he can bring something to the table. Yeah. Yeah. He's an intriguing talent. And again, huge value early round three. I think for the most part, he's usually gone in the second round. All right. So hit resume draft and we're going to get down to all the way down to one-on-one look at all those really nice uh, names coming up. kenny robinson off the board 81 <laughs> i don't know why but i like the way that that kid plays i really do uh so i'll let you go first at 101 how's your board looking okay so my board is not awesome right now um i've got a developmental guy matt pert offensive tackle uconn uh, he's usually gone by now. Yeah. Uh, if we did need an inside linebacker, I, I am starting to warm up to Logan Wilson out of Wyoming. He's sitting there. Uh, I, saw a, I saw a scout yesterday say 
uh, that Wilson's one of the most underrated players in the draft. Yeah. And he thinks, yeah, and he I thinks he's too. better than Van Der Esch. Wow. I didn't yeah. see that part, but I, I have, I have some people say he's underrated. Okay. I'm going to go help out the Seahawks right here. And I'm going to help out all those Seahawks fans that are freaking out who the what, third wide receiver is going to be on our freaking team. Um, the one wide receiver that I like, especially this deep in the draft, who I think is a, a guy that's going to contribute a little bit year one, but as he gets forward, he's going to contribute a lot more. Ch- Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. Wow. Okay. I like his size. I like his speed. Um, I think he needs to work a little bit more at the top of his route to get a little bit better separation. But, um, you know, what is he? Six, four, two twenty three. So mm-hmm. he, he's definitely a Seahawks type of wide receiver. Well, they could go either way with him. It's it, it'd be interesting to know how the Seahawks view him because I've read that some teams actually have him as their tight end one. Wow, I could see that as a guy that could convert. Yeah, put on a little weight. Um, okay, all right. So Claypool, he went off the board uh, to the Giants two picks before on my board. Uh, I have a crazy dilemma on my hands here now. Um. I don't see this happening, which is why I'm not going to go with it. But Matt Hennessy is still on the board. He's the wow. 66 overall rated prospect. We're sitting at 101. He's a guy that um, that many people view as the second best center in this draft uh, behind Ruiz, ahead of Cushenberry, um, a guy that excels in his own blocking scheme, but is good enough to play some gap and power like the Seahawks do, yeah. uh, excels at pass protection. Um, I would – it, it, if this was real life, I'd say take Hennessy because he's the best player on the board and go run and high. But it kind of, I don't think it would happen. Um, I don't think he'll be here this long, so I'm not going to let it throw me off my plan. Um, and what is my plan? So <laughs> there's an off, there's an offensive lineman that I have my eye on, but I think um, I think he's going to last into those picks at the end of the fourth round which allows me to address um, uh, to go defense again. And, and I do want to add to the secondary. I was real happy to hear Pete Carroll yesterday when he was asked about the Quentin Dunbar acquisition, he made it a point to say, look, we need to increase our, our depth and our talent in our secondary because our division has changed and it keeps getting better. And we need guys that can match up. Um, you know, watching the Seahawks last year try to play base against everybody was real frustrating. But I think a lot of that was because they just didn't feel comfortable putting some of those other guys on the field. So um, I know that they like Amadi as a potential slot guy. He's probably the number one slot there right now. But we also know that they've looked at a ton of slot prospects in this draft. And I think a guy they like um, more than anyone is Amik Robertson out of Louisiana Tech. Yeah. Um, not the not the biggest guy in the world, but it, extremely good ball skills, extremely good short area quickness. Um, loves to be physical. Loved when he when Louisiana Tech got the chance to play against bigger schools. I think top of my head, I think it was a Clemson game. I mean, he was shutting guys down. He was talking trash. Um, he's a leader. Um, he fits everything the Seahawks look for in a player um, who just loves playing football. And I think he, he takes care of, I think he could be their Chris Harris. I think he takes care of that nickel cornerback position long-term and it allows Dunbar to stay on the outside where he's better. So yeah. I'm going to go Robertson here at one-on-one. All right, let's carry on into the fourth round. Here we go. Got those two picks at the end of the fourth round. Um, All right. So, 
a couple of things I'm looking for here. There's an offensive lineman I'm hoping is still there, and I'm also looking to address uh, running back. Okay. So I'm going to click offense and see how that looks here. Um, all right. I think my dream scenario is unfolding. I'm not going to wait on the offensive lineman because I'm not so sure he's going to last until the fourth round. I've Of all the prospects that I've looked at, this guy – the range of where some people think he might be taken might vary as much as anyone that I've looked at. Um, but Robert Hunt is going to become a Seattle Seahawk. I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know if you saw the the package that NFL Network released on him yesterday uh, online. It's about a four and a half minute bio that they're going to run during the draft. But this kid's backstory and what he's had to overcome. Um, it, it makes the blind side look like a fairy tale. Um, and not only that, but the guy fits a need for the Seahawks. Some teams view him at a guard. They think he can be an all pro type guard. Other teams think he can stick it right tackle. That's where I see the Seahawks giving him the chance first. He's big, he's long, he's nasty. Uh, he's a little raw, but his technique is better than you would expect for someone with his background and from a small school. Um, and as far as the person and what he's had to overcome and, um, Robert Hunt, I think fits everything the Seahawks are looking for. And so I'm going to take him at that spot. Yeah, that's crazy. Cause, uh, you know, Hunt is way deep right now on my available players. He is down at 154. Yeah. I always get him in this range, but yet. I see him in just about every other mock draft that's ever published going much higher. Really? So, okay. I don't know why PFN has him ranked so low, um, but we also know the Seahawks sometimes when they identify their guys, they don't care what range, they just want to take them and make sure that they get them. So I'm going to lock him up. All right. Sounds good. Well, I've got a few interesting names. Um that I'm looking at right now. I got Fotu out of Utah, the D tackle. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like him a lot. And I feel like if I don't pick him here, he's not there at 144. Um, I got the big guard out of Georgia, Kinley, um, who fits what we're doing now because he's definitely not a zone blocking. He's a, he's a power guy. Uh, I'm looking at him, but then there's three names right bunched in a row. And I hope I'm, I'm, I'm guessing at least one of them will be there at 144. I got Windsor, the D-tackle out of Penn State. Mm-hmm. I got Wilkies out of Michigan State, the edge. And I got Cameron Brown, the outside linebacker from Penn State. So I'm going to wait on those three to see who's still there at 144. Okay. I just think I can't – I mean, Fotu, I cannot pass him up. I know I already took another D-tackle, but, uh, man, I just – let me just double check. Yeah, I, I – I, yeah, I got to take him, Fotu. I think that that kid's just a beast, and to get him in this range in the fourth round, I just I I can't pass that up. It's too good of a value. You know? Yeah, he went at one thirty seven to Jacksonville uh, on my board, and, and we do know that the Seahawks have had. Um, I think they had a formal interview at the combine with him, and I think they also had uh, a virtual FaceTime interview with him also during okay. the process. So that makes we sense. Do know that there's yeah. interest there. Yeah. Well, they love their Utah players for sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking defensive tackle also, but I, this running back group is really falling quickly. Um, but I lucked out 
and there's one name. There's some guys that I like in this sixth, seventh round range uh, that would really fit what the Seahawks would do. I've really come on to Michael Warren um, late, and I think he'd be a great addition in the in the later rounds. Um, but Antonio Gibson is still on the board at 144. Um, wow. And he's a guy that primarily was, and there's a lot of, he, he's kind of a, a polarizing prospect. He's a phenomenal athlete. Um, six, two, 200 pounds, runs a four, three, nine forty. um, mostly played wide receiver was a junior college transfer, went to Memphis, played mostly receiver. Um, and even as just a receiver would make sense in this range for the Seahawks to fit a need, um, can go over the middle, has great deep speed, runs good enough routes, even though there's room for improvement there, excellent hands, real physical, uh, but he started playing more running back. I think he had 36 carries or so last year at Memphis. And then what really opened eyes is at the Senior Bowl, uh, somebody pulled out of the Senior Bowl. I can't remember who it was now at the last minute. Um, and and so Gibson played exclusively at running back uh, during the week of practice and in the game and looked more natural than you would think for someone who hasn't had a lot of reps. Um, for a guy who's a wide receiver, he wasn't afraid to be physical and run inside, put his head down, seemed like he had good vision, has outstanding burst, uh, real good size-speed combination. And to me, what he looks like is what the Seahawks wanted C.J. Procise to be. Okay. And I think, I think in this draft, they're going to be looking at – Someone that can be sort of a gadget player on offense, the Lynn Bowdens or Devin Duvernay's, kind of those those um, mixed bag type players that they can use in different ways. And I think I think Gibson's a guy that can help him in the running back room, but that can also split out in the slot or out wide. Um, I really think that there's a parallel here with what they wanted Procise to be, because when he was healthy, at least in practice, when we would go watch practices. Um, they were doing those kinds of things with him. They just never got to showcase that because of his injury history. Um, so Gibson kind of gives him a second chance at that. Yeah, that's a nice pick. Okay. Did so, you make 144 already? No, I'm doing, you're I'm doing on 144 right now. Right now. Okay, okay um, and then we'll, kinda, then we'll recap going into the fifth round. So he's here still, so I'm not passing him up. Kenny Willeeks? Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Willeeks? Uh, Willikis. Willikis, I'm sorry. Number pronunciation according to Dane Brugler. Got it. Um, I love this kid. I mean, he's a three-year starter at Michigan State, so Big Ten. You know, he's going up against some good offensive lines. Um, you know, he's intense. You know, hard-charging type of guy. Doesn't give up. Uh, he does have an explosive first step, although he doesn't really have true edge rusher speed that holds up. Um, but he just doesn't quit. And he's the type of guy that the Seahawks, I think – you know, you get him at the end of the fourth round. And again, he's going to be depth his first year, maybe two years, as he works his way into a starting role. But I could see this guy by the time year three, year four rolls around, he could definitely be one of our edge players um, up front and be very productive. He is a three down lineman. So I'm taking Willex with 144. Okay. Yeah, I like him too. And and I think the the thing that makes him an interesting pick in this draft, um, I see him in a similar vein to Bradley and I. And I obviously had more production as a as a pass rusher, but they're both guys who aren't gonna wow you with their 40 time or their three cone or their their combine performance, but they're it's their experience, um, longtime starters and 
how productive they've been on the field that in in a year where there's not going to be a rookie mini camp, that training camp's probably going to be abbreviated, that there isn't going to be as much time for hands-on instruction, a guy like that might be able to come in and contribute a little bit more as a rookie because he's not he's more of a three-down player. Um I like Willikus too. Yeah. Nice shot. All right. So let's do a little recap as we go into we have three picks left going into the fifth round. I went Terrell Lewis. Uh they have him listed as an outside linebacker, but he'd be a Leo or an edge defensive end for the Seahawks. Michael Pittman, yeah. wide receiver out of USC. Jordan Elliott, defensive tackle out of Missouri. Kyle Duger, safety out of Lenore Ryan. Amik Robertson, corner out of Louisiana Tech. Robert Hunt, tackle out of Louisiana. And Antonio Gibson, running back out of Memphis. Okay. Uh, I went to Cesar Ruiz, center out of Michigan. Uh, Neville Gallimore, D tackle out of Oklahoma. Jabari Zuniga, D-end out of Florida. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back at LSU. Chase Claypool, wide receiver, Notre Dame. Lecky Fotu, the D-tackle out of Utah. And Kenny Willex, the D-end out of Michigan State. Heavy, heavy defensive line. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I don't know what you saw when you were doing this, you know, the thousands of times we've done it leading up to this. You know, sometimes I get in those, you know, you see so many good values at one position or or, you know, yeah. or on one side of the ball, but it kind of works because of what we've done this off season. Yeah, I'm, I'm all, we aren't necessarily looking at these four or five big holes, you know? Right. Which is why I love doubling down on certain positions. I'm all for adding a couple of young edges or a couple of young corners and letting those yeah. guys battle it out yeah. um, and seeing who's ready to play as a rookie and and, and who's not. Um, Absolutely. All right. So we move forward. We're at pick 158. So we didn't have a fifth round pick, but we got one back from the Jets. And that makes a lot of sense. Seahawks have had traditionally tremendous success taking guys in this range and to not have a fifth round pick, even though the value – uh, that we got for trading our two fists and Quandre Diggs and Quentin Dunbar is uh, spectacular, really. Um, I, I think at some point, somehow, some way, they'll figure out a way to get another pick in the fifth round. So we're sitting at 158. Um, there's another young corner there. I know they like Kendall Vildor out of Georgia Southern. Um, <laughs> also, uh, Uji Medea, um, another corner out of Iowa that um, fits their length standards, has the 32 inch arms and whatnot. Um, this is where you're looking for guys that, that aren't necessarily going to contribute as rookies, but could be part of it moving forward. And so you can take a guy who's a little bit of a project. I'm increasingly intrigued by Casey Tuhill out of Stanford. Um, a guy who's a phenomenal athlete and checks all their boxes for testing scores. Um, and looks like he has some kind of a poor man, Zach bond where he could, uh, he can rush off the edge. He was real product- productive there. I think he had nine sacks at Stanford, but he can also drop into coverage. Um, there's some offensive linemen that could give you good value here. What's your board looking like? Yeah, so I laugh because Vildor is a guy I've been looking at. He's sitting here. Uh, your guy, Robert Hunt, he's still sitting here. Uh, Uja Media, he's sitting there. Two Hills there. Uh, but one of the guys I'm really looking at that intrigues me um, is J.R. Reed, the safety out of Georgia. Okay. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, played three seasons at Georgia. He's definitely more of your strong safety type. Um, just because he doesn't have the deep speed that, uh, you'd like to see out of a free safety, but I, I could definitely see him being a Seahawk. Like he reminds me a lot of cam chancellor, you know, he's a big hitter. He plays well down into the box. 
Um, he actually can cover up tight ends. So um, that's a guy I'm looking at right now. I think that J.R. Reed would be an interesting pick for us. All right, I'm going to go a little different direction. And again, I, it's hard to know um, how accurate these big boards are, but because I've seen this particular player going much higher. And I and I read another report that if he had chosen to stay in school another year, he'd be a first-round pick next year. Um, but I wanted to come out of this draft with someone that I thought could develop into our left tackle after Dwayne Brown has done, be that in 2021 when it gets really favorable for the team to cut him and save cap space or 2022 when his contract expires. Um, Sadiq Charles out of LSU is still on the board. Yeah. Um, and he's a guy that um, for his size moves incredibly well, has outstanding uh, foot speed played you know, obviously at LSU facing all the top competition, um, really did well locking down some guys, um, uh, in the Alabama game and playing Auburn and some of those other schools, you know, facing the Marlon Davidson's and the Nick Coe's and the Terrell Lewis's and the Anthony Jennings really held his own outstanding in pass protection. Um, he's raw and, uh, and he needs to get stronger, but the footwork is impressive. Um, and the way he uses his hands, he's got the long arms. He looks the part of left tackle. I think he's a guy that you could sit on for a year behind Dwayne Brown and potentially groom as his successor. Yeah. Well, who I would take here, but like you said, you never know because Robert Hunt usually goes a lot sooner. I would take Robert Hunt, but to mix it up, since you already took the player, we discussed him. I'm going to go with J.R. Reed, the safety out of Georgia. Um, right. Like I said, I think he's one of those big-bodied safeties that the Seahawks love to get because it plays well in our deep three um, coverage that we like to run when you got that that safety that can take a linebacker uh, in space. Yeah. All right, so now we're going down. Uh, let's see, we're in uh, early sixth round now. We have the two sixth to finish this out, um, and this is the last pick that we got in the New York Jets trade. So we're at 191, and I really want to add one more potential pass rush piece. Um, although the guy that I have my eye on, I think, is going to last until 214. So I'm going to add, I still think defensive tackle is light. You know, really, they just have Puna Ford and Jaron Reed right now, and then it drops off to maybe Naz Jones or Brian Monet, who was the undrafted guy on the practice squad last year. Yeah. And even though I added Jordan Elliott, um, he's known as more of a penetrator, has some work left to do in the run game. And so at this point in the draft, I like taking guys that I think can affect um, on early downs and and can help against the run. I think Benito Jones out of Ole Miss is great value here. And, he, and he's not just a run stopper. I think he shows enough as a potential penetrator um, just plays the game 100 miles an hour, real uh, nonstop motor, chases plays down sideline to sideline. They moved him all around the line, so he didn't just play one technique. He wasn't just on the nose. Um, I think he's a guy that can uh, – he's more of a one-gap tackle, but he can uh, – he might be able to give you some value as a rookie even in the sixth round. So Benito Jones out of Ole Miss. Okay. Um. You know, I, I'm definitely looking for some developmental guys, especially when we're looking at uh, offensive line right now. And uh, I got to tell you, I think that uh, the guy I like the best at this point is Danny Pinter, guard out of Ball State. He played tackle in college. So if anyone's looking this up and wonders why I'm talking about as a guard, he definitely projects as a guard. He doesn't have the athleticism to 
hold on as a tackle at the next level. But Danny Pinter out of Ball State moves well. He's a powerful, powerful man. And uh, what I like most about him is he did display a really good relationship with his guards in college and communicating with them in the complicated pass rushing schemes. So I like that, you know, to get a, a offensive guard in there that can really work with the center and the tackle, communicate well, pick up the stunts, pick up the blitzes, I think is something that our offensive line has struggled with the last three or four years. All right. Um, I have more choices than I thought I was going to at this point. Um, it's really tempting. Uh, and I'm with you. There's a lot of value here on the interior offensive line. Uh, Damian Lewis at LSU is still there. Uh, Calvin Throckmorton of Oregon is a guy that can play all five positions on the line. will give you some value. I just think they've, they've invested so heavily in the offensive line. It'd be tough to see a path, uh, to either of those guys making, making the roster. Um, the, the, kid that I had mentioned at the top of the sixth round um, that I really like, um, Olawale uh, Batiku out of Illinois. Yeah. Um, kind of reminds me of Jacob Martin, um, uh, 6'3", 245, real explosive off the edge, plays hard late to the game of football. So um, the instincts need to develop. But I'm going to go a different direction because I, I they haven't addressed – secondary in this free agency period other than the trade for Dunbar. They brought back Nico Thorpe. They've yet to bring back Akeem King. There are some real needs uh, at secondary, not just in 2020, but long-term. We addressed it at uh, Nickel with Amik Robertson, but he's not a guy that can play really on the boundary. Um, uh, Thakarius Keys is out of Tulane. Um, he's a guy that, uh, fits their, their length standards. He's got the 33 inch arms, um, excels in press coverage. Um, I know he's a guy that Seahawks have had contact with, and he's a guy you can sit on for a year, play him on special teams, have him learn behind Shaq and Dunbar. And I think he projects as an outside starting corner, um, and, uh, a guy that fits their scheme. Okay. Oh, it sucks not having a seventh round pick there, right? <laughs> right. Watching, it, watching it go by. And I don't think that's going to happen. Look, the Seahawks will end up picking in the seventh round one way or another. They won't They won't be able to help themselves. Um, all right. So looking at your 10 that you took now. Oh, I got my, I got 214 to go. Oh, you so. still have to pick a yeah, 214. Yeah. yeah. Go, go for it. Well, oh my gosh. I think I'm tripling up here. I'm tripling up at the D tackles position. Uh, one of the guys I really liked um, is Broderick Washington Jr., Texas Tech. Um, now, I get it. He's a one-gap tackle, but he's – I mean, he fires off the snap. He keeps his pad level low. He easily changes direction, and he really uses his hands well, um, and he always keeps his feet moving. He does need to get a little heavier. Um, he definitely needs to add some uh, strength at the point of attack. But this guy, for me, I've been watching him the last three weeks, uh, some of his tape. And, man, there's some flashes in there that if he put it together, this guy would be uh, uh, easily in the top three rounds. Um, so I'm going to take Broderick Washington Jr., my third D tackle of the draft. All right. Yeah. Well, like we said, there's a need there. They usually carry four, and right now there's only two on the roster. So, um, And a lot of times those guys that you can get down – you know, in the sixth, seventh round range, um, 
pretty safe that you can get them to the practice squad too if they don't make the open yeah. roster. Yeah, of course. So what, as you look at your group, uh, what do you like the best and what do you regret? What do you wish you could have gotten that you weren't able to? Um, well, the, the glaring need for me was I did not address the cornerback position. Now, I think there's a lot of great names out there, especially if you're targeting a slot corner. Um, but with our trade, with the Redskins and bringing Dunbar in, and now you've got Amadi, you've got Trey Flowers. You know, I think there's a natural competition there anyways. And, I mean, look how we got Justin Coleman. That was a seventh-round pick that, you know, we got Justin Coleman for. So I think I think I can find a cornerback somewhere else than the draft. Um, but I, I wish I would have had a cornerback in there. But I, I did what I wanted to do. I addressed both lines, um, and I definitely picked up a running back that I have a lot of confidence in. And I picked up a wide receiver, I think, that fits with what the Seahawks, you know, do and and the type of players they go after. Um, I think maybe Ruiz is a stretch at 48. I mean, like you, I usually see him drafted in the first round, sometimes at the top of the second, but not not all the way down at 48. Um, so maybe you could swip out Ruiz with Hennessy there, you know, on my draft board, although yeah. that might be a little high for Hennessy. Not too high, though. Um, but I love the edge guys I got. Zuniga, I love him. Willix, I like him a lot. So, you know, I really – I think those are two very good edge players. And uh, Zuniga definitely has an opportunity. He could have an impact year one, not a large one. Now, I think that's rare to find an edge player rookie year that's not a top you know, five pick that can step yeah. in and really contribute. But I think he'd be a part of that rotation with those guys. I, I could see it. Yeah, it's funny. You went so heavy on edge, and that's that's my regret that I only got one. Um, I Typically, I double up on that, and I like to have a guy that can play inside and out. You ended up with Zuniga. I, I take him a lot, or Davidson, or Jason Strobridge, or James Lynch, yeah. a guy that can play, play five technique, but also slide inside and affect the passer. I didn't get one of those guys. Um, um, because Elliot doesn't really doesn't have the length to project that way, so he's strictly an interior guy. Probably could have done that at sixty eight instead of Kyle Duger. That's that's my one question mark. I'm not I'm not unhappy with the player. I just think that for twenty twenty there might have been another fit there. And if real life had gone the way that this simulator did, I would have taken Matt Hennessy at that spot if he's still there and not not even blinked. Um, not addressing the center position long-term is another regret that I have, but I like, um, I like that I got two potential long-term starting tackles. Um, I like that I got two different type of defensive tackles on the interior. And I like that I got, um, two corners, one inside and outside that, that could help long-term too. And, and, um, still was able to add a couple of weapons to the offense, even if Gibson doesn't really work out as a, a guy that plays primarily running back, um, He's someone you can use in the passing game and, and play inside and out with Pittman. So, oh, absolutely, yeah, interesting stuff. You know what we should have done? I hadn't thought of this. We should have paused the draft as it got to like the last pick, 
so that we could still see the simulator board and we could see some guys that were available that, oh, that yeah. undrafted free agents, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think like, you know, a guy like that I like, Batiku, um, the edge from Illinois, I think was undrafted. I think Michael Warren, the running back I like was undrafted. Um, it's always interesting to kind of see that. And the other thing that um, you know, I see some consistencies in the PFN simulator we're using as far as certain players being ranked higher or lower than they should be. This is one of the only times I've ever done a, a mock draft and not taken Lamar Jackson in the sixth round. Me too. <laughs> uh, even though I know there's no way that he's going to be available in the sixth round. Yeah. Um, the kid out of Nebraska is yeah. a tall, long corner that looks like a Seahawk corner all day long. So Yeah, I'd be surprised um, if he goes much past the fourth round in real life. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I when I first watched his tape at Nebraska, they didn't have him playing a lot of press coverage. He would he would play way off. Um, but then I went back and and uh, the the Senior Bowl uh, is on is it the entire se- Senior Bowl with commercials cut out of it is available on YouTube, and I was yeah. watching that again a little more closely. And uh, and they had him playing press, and he's he looks real comfortable doing it, real physical. So yeah. Uh, we shall see. We are, uh, 20, well, about, I don't know, 30, I'm not going to do the math. <laughs> I haven't had any coffee yet this morning. I can't do the math, but we're, uh, we're just over one full day away Yeah, from the draft. So it's, uh, it's different than we thought it would look right. I mean, a month ago when we were talking, we were still planning around Clowney or Everson Griffin being on board. Um, do you still think that there's a chance that they can make a big draft day trade for someone like an Ngakwe? I do think that there's a possibility there. And the reason why I say it is if we go into the draft, if this starts to fall a certain way, and we know Schneider doesn't like to pick in the first round anyways, if we can give up our first round pick, and maybe we have to give up you know, one of our seconds, but then we can jump up to the top of the second round and get their second round pick with Ngakwe, I definitely could see us making that move because then I think you see Schneider take that uh, you know, pick at the top of the second round, drop down to the middle of the second, accumulate some more picks, and you know he's back on schedule with you know, getting up around nine or ten picks overall. Um, of course, there'd be, you know, have to be more than just that move to get there. Um, but I could see it because, you know, in Gakway, he fits, he fits a lot of our needs. Um, you know, and I think that the Seahawks do realize, you know, we got a lot of one-year players right now, you know, on the defensive line, you know, Reed's got a two-year deal, but three of the other guys are on one-year deals. And then you got some choices coming up with some of the young guys here in another year or two. So I could see that happening. Um, I don't see a post draft trade for Ngakwe because I think the Jaguars want the picks now. I think they want it this year. So um, I, I think that's a less of an, a, a, a real reality than us doing it for picks this year. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it happening in the sense that I don't think they're going to get a first rounder for him. I think that deal would have happened already. Um, and so if Ngakwe is still in play, when the Seahawks are into the second round, especially if they've moved back and acquired picks and, and you can get them for a second or, or a second and something next year. Mm-hmm. 
I just, I would, I would do that from, from an acquisition standpoint, he would fit perfectly what they need. He would upgrade that defensive line. Um, You could, you could truly treat the rest of the draft as best player available and let it fall to you. Um, I just, it's, I I'm torn between the idea of it would have to come with an extension they haven't seemed like they're willing to pay uh, top of the market edge money. Yeah. Um, how would that fit in long term with all the other contract issues you have coming up in the next couple of years? I have, I have, I have a hard time balancing that with, hey, we're in Russell Wilson's prime. The window is uh, is now, and maybe you don't worry as much about twenty twenty one. This is something Chris Clough was trying to talk me into the other day, and it's gotten to me. You just go year to year, and you try to put the best team on the field you can that you think could have a shot at the Super Bowl. And acquiring Ngakwe, if they can do it on draft day, would certainly uh, be a big step towards doing that. So I guess I'm just open to any and all possibilities and trust that uh, you know they'll figure the rest of that out. Well, I think one of the things people have to take in mind, too, would be this. And I hear what you're – your friend Chris is saying that, hey, you know, you got to take it year to year, try to win every year, see what happens. But often that also leads to some real salary cap issues. And you're seeing some of these yeah. teams that win for it, and now they're, you know, hit, hitting the reset button and they're two, three, four years uh, removed from being competitive because of it. So I think, especially this draft, and this is why I'm not sure, I'm not positive there would be a trade for Ngakwe, is this. The Seahawks have finally worked themselves out of real salary cap issues that we saw for the last three years, right? right. We, we have a draft position-wise where we talked about you know the, the, the meat of the draft is second through the fourth round at positions that we need to become better, and yet they're not these top 15 type of people that you have to go and really trade up to go get. So... I'm torn between, you know what, Schneider, go get nine or 10 picks. Hopefully between the second, third, and fourth round, at least six or seven of them fall in that range. And let's throw a lot of bodies at a lot of different positions. Go back to the Pete Carroll. Hey, everything's a competition. We don't care where you were drafted. We don't care if you signed as a free agent. Everything's a competition. Best man wins. And that's when our team was hungry. That's when our team ascended. That's when our team started putting up these big victories. That's when we grabbed a Super Bowl championship. So, I almost like the idea of us not going after Ngakwe and instead, you know, let's load up these positions. Let's put a lot of competition in there. Let's see who comes out on top. Yeah. And there's other veterans available. There's still a lot of guys on the street. I could see them if they go into the draft and they, and they are available to add something that they like, um, let's say to the edge group to focus on there. Cause that's, that is going to be a storyline. Um, you know, they could, they're so good, at post draft free agency too, adding guys like yeah. Al Woods, like they did last yeah. year in value. You could, Marcus you could get a, this year. a Marcus Golden yeah. or um or a Jabal Shirt or a Clay Matthews, regardless of how most Seahawks fans might feel about him. You could still add a Snacks Harrison to plug up the middle. There's yeah, there's there's a lot of guys out there on the defensive line that are available. Um and in that running back group too, there's a ton uh, of guys out there that are really interesting that are still in their prime that aren't even 30 yet. They're available for cheap on the street. So absolutely. Um, and there's I guess that's so the thing many, to re- remember. There's so many running backs that fall between the second and late fourth round. Like I took, yeah. I took Edwards Hilaire cause I, I think he's amazing, but there, I mean, Zach Moss, um, AJ Dillon, uh, the kid out of yeah. Tulsa, um, Oh, or Memphis. I mean, Oh, what's his name? But anyways, there's a ton of running backs to be had in this draft as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thanks, man. This was fun. Uh, I said that our last dueling mock drafts was was going to be it before the draft, but I just couldn't help myself. Hey, I loved it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm sure that our fingers are going to get nice and tired tomorrow as we're texting a million times about what the Seahawks are going to do. <laughs> for sure. All right, man. We'll take care. Uh, say hi to the family and stay safe down there. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow night on draft night. All right. You too, brother. Thanks. All right. It's always great to catch up with Eric. Uh, he lives down in the Phoenix area. Um, and we've known each other a very long time. And even though we don't see his, each other as often in person these days, um, it's been nice to, to have him on this podcast. It gives us a, a chance to to catch up, especially um, talking about the things we love, and that is sports. And um, we ended up staying on the line about a half an hour after that and uh, just catching up on all the craziness going on in the world today. And and Eric and his wife, Sherry, are, are uh, being hit especially hard by this. Eric owns two uh, small bars in the Phoenix uh, area, and um, his wife uh, uh, is involved in ownership of a salon. And so as small business owners, they're being uh, really impact, impacted by this shutdown. And um, there are some hopeful signs on the way that um, they'll be able to get back to business soon. Um, so uh, my heart, heart goes out to them, and I... Hope and wish that they get back to work soon, as as I hope that I will as well. And things are looking uh, like they're moving in that direction. So, um, thank goodness we have the draft to talk about. But one of the things that we talked about after uh, I stopped recording is what are we going to do after this? Um, this could be a very deep, dark hole of nothingness, sports wise, that we're entering into after this draft is over. Um, but let's not think about that. That's a little bit of a downer. Let's get on to the second part of Draft-A-Palooza today. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to keep it really simple. No trades. I'm just going to stick with the, with the Seahawks' seven native picks. And um, once again, using the Pro Football Network Mock Draft Simulator, uh, I like their big board. I think it's as close as we have out there right now to what the consensus seems to be on where prospects rank, even though, as we pointed out in our dueling mocks, there are... Um, some inconsistencies or some things that don't seem to match up with what scouts think. Um, but I'm going to use this. Uh, and so I'm just going to hit draft and let the simulator run. And then at each spot, I'm going to take a player that I personally don't really like as a match for the Seahawks or just don't like as a player. Um, so we're sitting at 27 right now. Um, and the big board looks like this. C.D. Lamb is still on the board. That wouldn't happen. Uh, Kenneth Murray, outside linebacker, Oklahoma. Um, Caleb on Chazon uh, of LSU. Ezra Cleveland, offensive tackle, Boise State. Cesar Ruiz, center, Michigan. Those are the next five on the board, uh, followed by Patrick Queen, A.J. Terrell, Jeff Gladney. So a lot of really interesting, good players. It's kind of hard to go wrong here. The guy that I'm going to take is Chazon. The more I've studied him and the more I've read others' opinions of him, while he does have some elite athletic traits, his ability to get off the line of scrimmage, his explosion, uh, and his quickness, he just hasn't produced. And so you're really projecting this guy as someone in the first round that's going to come in and be an explosive edge rusher and get 10, 12, 14 sacks a year for you. Um, it would fit one of the Seahawks biggest needs going into this draft, but it's a guy that would be all projection, all athletic ability. Um, I would 
I would be concerned about his ability to to contribute as a rookie anything more than just as a sub package designated pass rusher. Um, I just he doesn't get home enough, and um, he seems like more of a project than some other guys that that could be taken in this range. So, um, as much as he had a lot of helium early in the draft process, he's a guy that seems to be slipping, and I think that's because there are some real questions about his ability to be a three down defensive end. So I'll take Chase on with that pick. And now we're going to slide down into the second round with picks 59 and 64. And we're at 59 now. Some of the top prospects available. Lloyd Cushenberry would make a lot of sense as a as a um, as a um, developmental center. Sorry, I got stuck on my words. Um, Curtis Weaver, defensive end, Boise State. Zach Bond, outside linebacker, Wisconsin. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who Eric took in his draft. Michael Pittman, Justin Matabuke. There's. Um, it's hard not to like some of these players. Um, of these, I would go, um, Curtis Weaver would be a normal player that I would take in this exercise because he just, he's a guy that, um, you hear the term bad body, good football player. Um, he's shorter than you like in an edge. He's squattier. Um, so I'm going to look for someone that would be more of a reach, um, and I'm going to go, this is tough. This is why I wanted to do this exercise because you can find reasons to like a lot of these prospects. Um, so here's one. I like the player, just don't like the fit for what the Seahawks need right now. But Adam Troutman, tight end out of Dayton, really impressed at the Senior Bowl. Um, some people like Cole Komet out of Notre Dame as tight end one. Some people like Chase Claypool as a guy they project from wide receiver to tight end, also out of Notre Dame. Um, but I'm going to go with Troutman. Um, he's a guy that I could see them taking because they, they just might think he's the best tight end on their board and he could be at the top of their board, even though they have a strong tight end room and it doesn't really fit a need. Um, but to take a player that many feel like is the best tight end in the draft at the 59th pick would seem to be good value. I just don't think he fits um, with how their roster is set up at the moment. Um, so we're pick 64 now. And um, I'm going to go with a wide receiver. You've heard so much about this wide receiver group. Um, and one of the more popular picks in many mock drafts um, that people seem to be matching up with the Seahawks is Donovan Peoples-Jones of Michigan because he he fits all of the Seahawks' uh, athletic profile. He's 6'2", um, tests really well, good size-speed combination. Um, I just don't see anything special when I watch the tape. I see David Moore. We already have one of those. I see... Um, I, I see a guy that doesn't have a very high ceiling and wasn't all that productive in college. And you can say it was a quarterback issue at Michigan. I don't see him great, get great separation. Um, I don't see him making a lot of dynamic plays. I think there are other receivers in this class that you can get at the end of the third round or the fourth round that can give you as much value and as much return on investment as Donovan Peoples-Jones. I could be wrong. I'm just not seeing what some other people are seeing 
in him. Uh, at pick 101, um, so we've addressed pass rush. We've addressed wide receiver and tight end. Um, players that are on the board at this point, um, Tyler Biotish, center out of Wisconsin, Devin Duvernay out of Texas, Keith Ishmael, another center out of San Diego State, Cameron Dantzler, outside corner from Mississippi State, Van Jefferson, wide receiver, Florida. Those are all players that I like. Um, and so I have to scroll down a bit to find someone I really don't like. Um, but here's one rated the 103rd best player in the draft fits a clear need of the Seahawks at 101 Richard Lawrence out of LSU he's a defensive tackle who was a five-star recruit at one time considered uh, a first-round draft pick but he just doesn't do anything dynamic um, he's a good solid uh, defensive tackle that's that's solid against the run not considered an elite run defender in any way um, doesn't really give you much in the passing game um, wouldn't be a bad pick at 101, just not anything to really get excited about. And I think his ceiling is very limited. Now we're down to pick 133, uh, late in the fourth round. And uh, I'm just going to go with the next highest rated uh, safety on the board. And the next highest rated player is Kevon Wallace out of Clemson. And I, this is why I'm going to make this pick. I don't know a lot about Wallace. I haven't studied the safeties very closely in this class because I don't think the Seahawks need to take one unless it's one of the guys that can play slot, a Xavier McKinney at the top of the draft. Um, uh, and there are some other guys that they've looked at that project as corner conversions or guys that can compete at the nickel spot. Um, but the Seahawks love to take safeties. They've invested so much draft capital and safeties in the last few years with Tedrick Thompson and Lano Hill in the in the same draft. And then last year with Blair and Amadi in the same draft. And then they appeared hesitant to play Blair as the year went on. And it looked like he was in the doghouse late in the year. And who knows what their plans are for him. Um, and then they went out and acquired Quandre Diggs uh, last year midway through the season as well. So just taking any safety in this range... Um, would disappoint me regardless of what type of uh, uh, prospect Wallace proves to be. Uh, at pick 144, um, again, hard to be disappointed. Guys in this range um, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, Robert Windsor, defensive tackle, Penn State. Kenny Willekes of Michigan State, who Eric talked about. Um, Hunter Bryant, really intriguing tight end from Washington. Darian Daniels, um, a defensive tackle out of Nebraska that I would like better than Rashard Lawrence at a better value. And so he's a guy that makes a lot of sense. Um, Alton Robinson, defensive end Syracuse, gives you some upside. Um, so let's do this. Let's... Um, Let's go with Travis Gibson. We'll double dip on defensive end. Uh, Gibson's a guy the Seahawks have met with. He looks the part stepping off the bus. Looks just like a Leo. Uh, great height, weight, measurements. Match everything the Seahawks look for in that position. Double dipping at edge uh, makes some sense. Um, he's a little more complete player than Chazon, whereas Chazon right now projects as just strictly a pass rusher. Um, Gibson's a little more of a three down guy, but I just don't see the explosion. I don't see any dynamic traits from him. He doesn't impact games. He's not a guy you have to double team or plan for. I think he's just a guy. And so, uh, it would be hard to get excited about him at that point. Uh, so now we're at pick 214. 
Uh, I'm going to go Damian Lewis, guard LSU. This is a guy that projects uh, to some people higher than this in the draft. He had a very good week at the Senior Bowl. Um, he was on that outstanding LSU offensive line. Um, better run blocker than pass blocker. Um, a lot of scouts are a lot higher on him than Pro Football Network is. Um, and I'm, I'm not, again, not so sure he wouldn't be a fit, but the Seahawks have signed so many guards and they have so many bodies there. I think 18 offensive linemen total on the roster right now. There's so much competition. Um, I think spending a pick on a guard, uh, on a player who can only play guard and doesn't project to tackle it at all, at all uh, would be a bit of a waste of a draft pick. And so I'm going to go Damian Lewis there. So um, just an interesting exercise overall. Uh, so the seven picks, uh, Caleb on Chazon. Adam Troutman, tight end out of Dayton with the 59th pick. Donovan Peoples-Jones, wide receiver out of Michigan at 64. Richard Lawrence, defensive tackle at 101. Uh, Kavon Wallace, uh, safety Clemson at 133. I would actually take Tanner Muse, his teammate. Instead, Travis Gibson, defensive end out of Tulsa at 144. Um, and Damian Lewis, guard out of LSU. I think this is a, a decent cross-section of players for the purposes of this exercise because it touches on their major needs didn't get a running back but with only seven picks that'd be hard to do and you can there are some guys that will go undrafted that that would make sense um you technically hit on some of their biggest positions of need by addressing interior defensive line and edge twice uh one guy that would be more of a five technique in gibson and one guy that would be a leo and Chazon. um they just aren't aren't at the top of the list of guys that i like in that position group but still and this is what i was was expecting to see if this was the Seahawks draft over the next three days, there would be reasons to like it. So there are so many cynical Seahawks fans that are already, I've been seeing it for weeks on Twitter. I know I'm going to get disappointed. I know I'm going to hate what they do. Even Jason Churchill and I, when we did virtual beers on baseball things with him last week on Zoom, uh, he said it. He said, I'm already, I'm already mad at John Schneider and he hasn't done anything yet because they do that to us. The LJ Collier thing where they traded down and they missed, they thought some guys were going to fall to them and they didn't. So they had to settle for Collier. That ticked a bunch of us off. Um, the fact that they went so strong at safety again, two years after doing it, um, uh, double dipping twice in two years, um, disappointed us. I know a lot of people are still mad about Rashad Penny and that pick. Um, but you can look at this draft and you can make an argument that it fits some needs. Maybe they tap into what Chazon can really do well, and he does become a 12-sack guy. Maybe Troutman is the best tight end in this draft, and if Disley can't stay healthy and Greg Olson's only on a one-year deal and, and Wilson's just kind of a stopgap and Hollister isn't a complete tight end, maybe you found yourself the next George Kittle. Maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones' athletic traits do translate to production. He does become that outstanding number three complimentary wide receiver uh, that the Seahawks need uh, to complement Lockett and Metcalf. Maybe Richard Lawrence is, is that good, solid, dependable rotational tackle that you need uh, that can give you cheap help in the interior defensive line for the next three to four years. Um, maybe Kamon Wallace is, becomes a great special teamer and a guy that can be versatile and play uh, different positions in the secondary. And Travis Gibson um, becomes more than uh, Rasheem Green does or LJ Collier and, and gives you eight, nine sacks a year while also playing the run and being a three down uh, five technique defensive end and maybe Damian Lewis in a year or two after um, 
after Fluker uh, moves on and and the team is finally done uh, with with the old veterans, uh, maybe he's maybe he proves to be a better guard than Phil Haynes at left guard uh, or even Jamarco Jones at right guard and becomes a starting guard for you. So um, that's what a draft would look like if I took guys that I didn't like as well as others and um, still not that bad, right? Uh, so that's going to do it. Uh, this is the last episode of Dan Cave before the actual draft. Uh, but you can find me doing some other things. Real busy schedule over the next couple of days. If you're listening to this today, Wednesday the 22nd, um, I think at about 6 or 7 o'clock tonight, I'm going to join Nick Lee and Corbin Smith of Seahawk Maven. We're going to do a live, live streamed, an actual live streamed on YouTube uh, mock draft where we're going to go through, we're going to make trades, and we have to come to a consensus on the picks. And so in some cases, we're going to be arguing over players or arguing over whether to make trades or not. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then tomorrow, um, I after the draft is wrapped up, um, time permitting, I am going to hop on with uh, Brandon Schultz on the Field Goals podcast and also with Keith Myers and Bill Alvstad on the Seahawks Playbook podcast to break things down. Uh, so you can look for me on those podcasts as well. Until then, man, we're almost there. We have something sports related to get excited about and and to join in with together. Uh, Certainly, I'll be all over Twitter during the draft reacting to things that are happening, not just with the Seahawks, but other teams. Um, My Twitter handle is at Seahawks forever. Please follow me there and we can interact during the draft. Um, And then whatever podcast platform you use to listen to the Dan Cave, please hit subscribe and you'll get immediate notification when I post new episodes. Enjoy the draft. Stay safe. Stay sane. Make sure you're washing your hands. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, go Seahawks. Go Mariners. Go Cougs.